Welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. We are doing a special Q&A episode about our sermon series, Controversial Jesus. And this week we're talking about Jesus and gender. So thank you, Brian, for just beginning to tackle this topic and not just tackling it, but Mm. being willing to continue the conversation and answer some questions that are commonly asked around this. So just really thank you for you leading Mm. us in this and just pastoring us through this cultural moment Mm. that we are in. So we have a couple questions here, like I mentioned, that yeah. we're gonna I'm gonna ask you and just create some space for you to answer them and mm-hmm. help us continue to wrestle mm-hmm. and have conversations around this. So the first question we have is, should I call people by their preferred pronouns? Yeah, this is really the big question. And um, it's a good question because I think it, it demonstrates a desire for relationship as well as, as a desire to get it right. And I understand both sides of the argument and wrestled with it myself both as a pastor and how I counsel people, but also just personally and in the relationships I have and the people I engage. And uh, there was a time where I just really went back and forth. And I would say on the, on, on the outset that I, I, I get both sides of the argument. I think, mm-hmm. I think both sides would make a good case ultimately uh, I'd land on the side of being hospitable with the language, understanding it's, it's shared language. Uh, that's a concept I first heard from a guy named Preston Sprinkle, which I've recommended his stuff a lot. And, but it, it ultimately could be an issue of conscience because I know some people that would object to say, no, I don't wanna use the preferred p- pronouns if it contradicts with what I, I think is their biological sex because I feel like I would be lying. And I, and I understand that. And if that is an issue of conscience for you, I, I wouldn't encourage you to go against it. Um, but ultimately I would land on the side of wanting to continue the relationship, wanting to um, be there to perhaps influence them toward a relationship with Christ and, and ultimately the, the biblical worldview, uh, assuming that this is someone that I don't have authority or responsibility yeah. over, and, and I'll address that here in a second. But I would tend to uh, comply with the request um, the best I possibly could. And I think there, there's a, in Proverbs 26.4, um, I, I found this helpful in, in issues mm-hmm. of wisdom and should I engage or should I not engage? And it seemingly contradicts itself, but I'll, I'll tell you what I mean here in a second. So in Proverbs 26, four, it says, answer not, a fool, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. And then the next verse says, answer, do answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. And so it says mm. it depends on the situation. And so the first one is, don't answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. So in other words, that's where the issue of conscience comes in. Like if you feel like, hey, if I engage this person on their terms, I feel like I'm the one who's going to be influenced and I could get caught Mm. up in that. And so that's why I would say like, hey, if you feel like you're entering in something that's going to lead you astray, then by by no means, then do what this verse says, use wisdom and don't answer a fool according to his folly. However, however, it, it says the reason why you would is so so that they're not they don't end up being wise in their own eyes, which I take that to mean that that gives you an opportunity to continue the relationship to influence them toward Christ. And that's ultimately um, I you know, ultimately we are we are witnesses, we're to be salt and light, we're to yeah. be we're to mix up and, and be amongst people. And so I would tend to say, hey, let's 
Let's be hospitable. Let's be gracious. One of us is going to feel uncomfortable. So instead of them feeling uncomfortable, I would say, you know what? I, I want to, I'll be the person who's uncomfortable and I'll do what maybe doesn't feel natural to me for the sake of relationship and for the sake of being able to communicate uh, the love of Jesus some way, somehow. Yeah, that's really helpful. Now, if this was my child, it would be a bit different. I, I would not comply yeah. to that. I, I, would, I wouldn't call, if my child wanted me to call them something different, I, I wouldn't do that. I, if I had that kind of authority, responsibility over their life, I would say, no, that's not who you are. This is who you are. Uh, and I've been given that responsibility by God. Um, or if it was another believer who said, um, who said, I don't, I, I want to adopt a different identity than the one that God has given me, then I would, then I would say, I'm not going to do that out of love for you. But I, in those cases, I do have authority and responsibility. But outside of that, I would be looking to build a bridge by, by being hospitable and kind and, and complying to the request. Yeah, no, that's really helpful. Another question we have here is, did God create people with gender dysphoria? That is a, that is a big question. Um, I mean, God created everything. And I, I think what I would want people to know, regardless of who you are, is that God didn't just create you like haphazardly, like, you know, like he's putting together a piece of furniture and he's like, okay, I'll take, you know, a leg, a, a cushion and kind of put you together. Like there is a reality to where he thoughtfully made you. And, and sometimes that can be really challenging if there's things about yourself that you don't like or you wish were different. And, and it could even cause you to get angry, but God did create us the way that we are and he has a redemptive purpose in that. Uh, so the answer is yes. Now, there's another reality that, that sometimes can feel, we can say it in trite way, ways, but it has huge impacts. And it's what Jesus said to Nicodemus, which is you must be born again. So we have our natural birth, but there's a reality to where we, we need a new birth, like who we are needs to fundamentally change, that we need a new nature, that we must be born again. So there's a very real mm. sense to where the way that we are born into this far, fallen world is not our true self. So even though God made us the way that we are and he has a redemptive plan in it, th the real us um, only comes through a new birth. And and then that leads to a life of discipleship where Jesus says, come deny yourself, deny who you were and come follow me into this new identity yeah. and life. These are huge statements that oftentimes uh, we as Christians don't often think about the implications of uh, until you get into something maybe as, as serious or as painful for someone as gender dysphoria or, or something else that seems like a, heavy burden, a heavier burden to carry. Than, but we're all called by Jesus to be born, that who we are, who we, who we are naturally is fundamentally flawed. We all need to become a new person. That is to say that we all need to be born again. We all come to Jesus, not on our own terms, but we are again to deny who we've been, set that aside, 
and enter into this new resurrected life that God has for us. And that's a constant battle. Um, I mentioned this on my, in, in the sermon on Sunday, that um, the, the mind of God and the mind of our flesh are in this battle in the same way. And we often give in to the mind of our flesh and not give in to the mind of God, but mm-hmm. that, that's for all of us. So, so simply put, um, yes, uh, he did. Uh, but, um, and there is a redemptive purpose in it. He wants to use your background and experience and everything that you are, which is includes your gender, but it's bigger than your gender, uh, uh, your gender, excuse me. And, uh, but yeah, the call to be born again and the road of discipleship is, is the path we all take. Mm, that's good. A common question that we hear from parents is how do I talk to my kids about this? Mm, yeah. I mean, this is huge. I, in fact, it's one of the big reasons why I want to do this podcast. And, you know, I'm pouring over um, my notes on what I would say in the message on Sunday. And it really, there's so much I wanted to that I didn't have time to. And one of the things that's really on my heart is, is I do want to help parents. Mm. And I mean, as a parent, um, I think about this a lot. And as a, as a pastor wanting to help people parent, um, here's what I would say. You need to talk to your kids and you probably need to talk to them sooner than you think you do. And um, because this, this is out there in culture and, and really the big, I guess, cultural hot button and uh, is that this is being brought up in schools. If, you, if your kid, especially if your kid goes to a public school, but even if your kid doesn't go to public school, it's getting brought up in other circles. So just because they're not in the public school environment doesn't mean they're not going yeah. to get exposed to this. It's in Disney movie, it's everywhere. And so you need to talk to your kids about it. And I think you need to be thoughtful about it because it's not just, you know, you obviously don't want them to adopt a worldview that's, that's outside of scriptures, which is quote unquote, a worldly worldview, but also you don't want to raise religious kids either. And I think the way that you get around that is, is that you, yeah, you are clear about what the Bible says about gender, what it says about the body and how mm-hmm. God's made us. But you also want to speak very compassionately about those who would uh, identify as transgender and uh, not to be derogatory. I just would, I mean, it's not kind, it's not godly, but I think your kids will pick up on that. Uh, The good news and bad news about kids, particularly if they're 13 or younger, is they're very impressionable. That's why we're concerned is because we see our kids as so impressionable. And so they'll, they'll pick up your tone as well as what you say. Mm. And so if you, if you speak negatively out of fear, like, oh my gosh, don't be like this, then that'll backfire. Um, it may mean that, you know, I, I mean, I think where your kids go to school is a really big deal. And I, I would think carefully about um, where you send your kids to school, particularly once, you know, through middle school, uh, there's a lot that's being taught out there that that isn't helpful. So I would the the idea the the decision of where to send your kids to school. I would be very thoughtful about that decision. I would read lots of books. I've recommended a few on Sunday. Uh, I would read Preston Sprinkles Embodied. I mean that's not written uh, about kids, but you'll pick up on the theology as well as the tone. There's a book uh, by Mark Yardhouse called about sexual identity that's specifically toward how to talk to your kids. It, it's actually, it talks, it's, it's geared toward um, youth ministry, but uh, as you have preteens and teens, it's, it's a great resource as well as many others. But I would read up on the, con- I'd read up on the subject. 
I'd be very thoughtful in how I talk to my kids, but I would have definite conversations with them. That's really great. I think another layer to that same question about talking with your kids, parents want to know how would you encourage them what to do if their child tells them that they identify as a gender that differs from their biological sex? Don't freak out. Uh, that would be the big thing. I, I mean, if you know, it, it depends what age they are. I mean, if they're younger and they're like, you, you know, they heard some, you know, they're six, seven years old, and they just kind of heard something. I mean, that that's a little bit different than if they're, you know, 13, 14, 15. Uh, that, that's a bit in a different category. And that's probably the kind of age I'm thinking about and don't freak out because they are coming to you. First thing I would want to tell every parent is I would almost rehearse this in your mind. Like, what am I gonna say when my, when my child comes to me and tells me something that I am not happy about. It may not have to, have, may have nothing to do with sexuality or gender. It may be that I wrecked the car or whatever it is. Something happened where, where they did something that, you, that they know that you would disapprove of. They know what you think about this, and, but they are still coming to you. And I would just plead with parents, like don't, under, don't, don't, um, abuse that, that real gift that your kids are coming to you. So don't freak out, um, you know, really see that as a gift that they are coming to you and they are wanting to talk to you. And, and that leads me to my next point, which again, Mark Yardhouse in his book on sexual identity talks a lot about this, is that the community that your kids are in will play a huge uh, role in the identity that they form and the identity that they form will lead to behavior. Hmm. And so the most important thing, when they, so when they come to you, you want to, you want, you want to be a part of their community. Hmm. You want to be a part of that influence. And so what often happens in the church, and I, so I want this for my kids and I want this for the entire church is, is you know, kids grow up in the church, they feel like, oh my gosh, I don't fit the, the gender stereotype. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I feel off. They go and talk to someone in the church. They get shut down, like, or, or all they hear about uh, people who identify as transgender or gay or lesbian is they hear negative thoughts, and they think I'm not safe to express my own struggles. Then they get on TikTok or they go to school and they do find a safe place to talk about what they struggle with. And so they don't choose to church as their community. They, they choose people outside the church as their community. And that is a huge factor in how identity is formed and behavior. So the thing I would say to parents is like, pay attention. First of all, pay attention to your kids hang out with. That's a big deal. That's always been a big deal. It's a big, uh, but secondly, make sure make sure that you create the kind of environment in your home. And this is the kind of environment we want to create in our churches is a belonging, a, a belonging mindset before that people behave or believe, but they want that they belong, that we want to be a part of your community because the community that they're in, the, the place that they feel safe to go to is going to form their identity and behavior. So um, don't freak out. Uh, you may need to talk to someone, like you may need help. And so don't go this alone. I mean, you may be like, oh man, I don't wanna, my kid's going through this. I don't wanna expose my kid, but hey, you need help. Like this is a minefield and don't go it alone and, and ask 
uh, someone that you trust in the church community to help walk you through this. Uh, and um, yeah, it's, 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 it's challenging, yeah. uh, but it's our, it's our role as parents and we don't, you don't have to do it alone. We can, we can do it together. Yeah, that's great. So Brian, how do we as followers of Jesus mm. stay faithful to the biblical view of sexuality and gender yet remain welcoming to those who do identify as LGBT? Yeah, I, again, I love this question because it, it expresses this desire to be biblically faithful, but understanding in order to be biblical, biblically faithful, it involves grace and compassion. Uh, it's, a port, it's a part of orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is beyond just kind of knowing, hey, I, I, I got my theology right, but it's theology and practice, which is grace and truth. And uh, Jesus uh, was the full embodiment of, of grace and, and yeah. truth. He wasn't the balance of grace and truth. He was 100% grace. Mm. He was 100% truth. And I think oftentimes where we get messed up is that we, based on personality or experience, we tend to prefer one over the other. And um, the thing that we have to do, and I don't mean to be trite when I say this, but we need to become as much like Jesus as possible. Yeah. So this call to, to follow him, to deny ourselves, to deny our own ideas and instincts and thoughts and embrace his idea, instincts and thoughts to become like him. So, I mean, God has given us no provision in and, in and of our flesh to be a Christian. The only way that we live this Christian life it's, it's, it's Christ in me, the hope of glory. Or as Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ living in me. That only way that we'll be compl- have the full embodiment of grace and truth in, in a situation is for the, the life of Christ to live through us. And so we need to become like him. If we pursue one at the expense of the other, we get neither. Mm. Uh, someone told, <clears throat> I love this analogy about, it's like, you know, an airplane has two wings. And it's not like you can choose, well, one wing over the other. If you, don't, if you only have one wing, you have no flight. <laughs> the only way that you fly is both. And the only way that we fly as Christians is we have both. And the only way that you get both is to pursue Jesus, to become like him. And I mean, this is just, I mean, the older I get, the, the aspect of Jesus that really just blows my mind is that he was someone was able to be friends and associate with people that he profoundly disagreed with. So he was called the friend of sinners, and yet he was sinless. He was nothing like those he associated with. I heard someone, one pastor uh, say that people who weren't like Jesus liked Jesus Mm -hmm. because he he loved them and was willing to associate with them even though he didn't agree with them. And the only way that you can hold that tension, no one can hold that tension except Jesus, and the only way you can do that is to become like him and to enter his life, or I should say it this way, have his life live through you. And so to be able to hang out with, you know, the tax collectors and, and prostitutes and, and, be, and even enter the home of religious leaders. So he was, he was wanting to reach them as well. Um, I think that's the key for us. And not to get in the trap like, hey, I'm just going to be compassionate. You know, I, I'm going to, I'm okay fudging on the truth, not getting my lines all, but I'll just, I'm gonna err on being compassionate. If you do that, you will, you will neither be a person of truth or be a person of mm. compassion. Or on the other side, if you're like, I'm just gonna stick on truth and I'll fudge on compassion, you will neither be a person of compassion 
or a person of truth. You need, you need both. And, and uh, one of the statements too that is said of Jesus in Hebrews chapter two is that it says that he was not ashamed to call us brothers. And it doesn't mean that we don't act shamefully, but he's not, he's not ashamed to be around us. And I just think like that's so huge that we shouldn't be ashamed or hesitant uh, to be around others and to really associate with them, to bring our love, our compassion, our presence, and to, to see them as they are. And, uh, but yet through our, our life, people know what you believe. I mean, most people don't have to, you don't have to always say it. I mean, people know what angle you're coming from. So I think that should free us just to be loving and welcoming um, and, and at the right time, um, be able to express, hey, this is what Jesus says. And, and that's what discipleship is mm. all about. Yeah. Uh, you lead people to a, a place to where they meet Jesus. Uh, we don't preach morality. We preach resurrected life, the hope in, in, the hope in Jesus. Now, once they say, hey, I, I see Jesus in you and I see Jesus in this community and, and I want him, I want that. Then comes discipleship, which is like, okay, like all of us, we need to be willing to ask those who want to follow Jesus to put at the foot of Jesus everything that they are, including yeah. their sexuality, yeah. in their view of themselves, their own identity, and, and put it in submission to the Lordship of Jesus and say, come with us as we follow him. Let's, let's throw ourselves toward him. He's our hope. Uh, he's yes. what we're after. And we all do this together. And, uh, but not, so anyway, so I think we, we pursue Jesus, follow Jesus, we show people Jesus. And then once they say, hey, I'm, I'm ready, I'm ready to turn from my old life, you know, like Jesus said, go and send them more. So yeah, this is what discipleship looks like, but that's after they meet Jesus, not before. Yeah, no, that's really good. And that's a helpful challenge of not to hang out on one of these wings too heavily, you know, one and miss both. So if someone, how would you encourage someone who's maybe hanging out more on one of these wings, either compassion or truth mm -hmm. to help meet more of that middle helpful ground? Well, the first thing I would say is it's not as safe as a place as you think it is. So most people make that statement in to be safe. Like, I don't know what to do to move. So if they're on the, to move toward truth and to put, so if you're a compassion person, to move toward truth where there's edges and lines, that feels unsafe. And so you stay mm. in a safe place. Mm. Or if you're on truth that you love the lines and the edges, but like to go over to compassion, it's messy. And will I be compromising? I mean, all good questions. What, will I be compromising? Um, you know, is, is that the wrong thing to do? Like it feels unsafe. So, so to the truth person, compassion feels unsafe. To the compassion person, truth feels unsafe. Mm. And the, the, the idea in following Jesus, no one ever said it'd be safe. Um, innocent as doves, <laughs> wise as serpents. I'm sending you like sheep among wolves. When does that ever turn out good for the sheep? <laughs> Never. And so I think it's, it's about embracing that life. And again, I, I, I said this earlier, but I know it's trite, but we really have to press into Jesus. If you're trying to live this Christian life, so if you're trying to be compassionate in your own strength, if you're trying to abide by the truth in your own strength, it, it's not, it's, this Christian life isn't about you doing what you think a Christian should do. This Christian life is about Jesus, the power of Jesus living in and through you. 
And, and we just, it just causes us to rely more on him. And, and so I know that sounds like obvious and trite, but it's, it's, it's leaning into him. When we feel unsafe, when we feel unsure, it's not giving into our fears and insecurities, but it's, it's laying our insecurities and fears at the feet of Jesus and allowing his power uh, to, be perfect, to be perfected in our weaknesses. Great. Another question we have here is, do we have a responsibility to engage the wider culture on this issue? Yeah, I mean, we are, we are salt and light. And um, I do think that we should have an impact mm-hmm. on culture. Mm-hmm. I think how we have that impact is really important. I think, of course, it's, it's really important to remember that ultimately what people think of Jesus is the most important thing. Yeah. Um, the, how people, what people think of Jesus is, is so critical. And that is our main way that we are salt and light is that we communicate the gospel, that we want to be gospel centered, that we put him at the center. We don't put morality. We don't put our own ideas. We put Jesus at the center now. And then through, through Jesus living in and through us, um, yeah, we're going to change things. We're going to affect things. I think how you engage these conversations is, is really important. And I think there's, there's some good questions to ask people who have an alternate view as you, but before you do that, you really do have to understand where they're coming from. Hmm. And Jesus would do this. I mean, Jesus, you, you probably heard this before, but Jesus asked more questions than he answered, which is mind boggling. Yeah. There's anyone who should just monologue and never listen. <laughs> it should be Jesus, yeah. but he, um, you know, he did not ask questions to, to learn. He asked questions. He listened to love. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we love people and we want to we express that love through asking questions. And one of the things that we need to understand about where people are coming from is we all have a different framework. You have a framework, I have a framework. And in, his, in one of his books, or maybe it was a talk he did, but he had Mark Yardhouse, he has these three different, um, he's a Christian scholar, um, probably the foremost Christian scholar on the topic of sexual identity. Mm. And he says that, people see this through three different frameworks. The first one is the design framework, or I think he calls it the integrity framework, where, you know, God, you know, God are, created us male and female. Uh, this is the way that we are born. Uh, there's a binary. Anything that goes outside of this binary is immoral. Mm. This is mainly held by Christians, but others do too. Um, then there's the, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the disability framework, that this is not... Uh, this is this this is of no fault to their own. This is not immoral. This is this is something that needs to be treated with lots of compassion. Mm-hmm. And then there is uh, the diversity framework, which is this is like not only is this not immoral, it's not a disability. Uh, this should be celebrated. So I don't want to view this as a design thing that's immoral, but I don't want to view this as a disability thing either. Um, this is not a disability. This is something, this is who I am and this should be celebrated. Or this is who they are and this should be celebrated. I mean, I even felt this a little bit when I did my talk on Sunday. It's like, as I'm talking about, we should have compassion for people with gender dysphoria. Uh, some, I mean, some people would say, no, 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 that we don't should have, we shouldn't have compassion. Hmm. We should be celebrating hmm. this. And so understanding what framework people have in this conversation is going to make a world of difference because what, if you don't do this, you'll end up in a shouting match. And so I don't know if you ever talked to someone who didn't speak English and what you end up doing when they don't understand what you're saying, you just talk louder and slower. And <laughs> that doesn't actually work. 
And, but often as Christians, that's what we do. Yeah. We talk louder mm. and slower. Like how come people don't get our message? It's because they don't see things the way you see them. And until you get into a posture of learning and understanding, it's gonna be really challenging you for you have this, to have this conversation on a, on a one-on-one basis, as well as in the larger cultural issue. Um, Jesus said that in this world that you're gonna have trouble, that we are going to be like sheep among wolves and we're gonna feel vulnerable. And I think Christians feel vulnerable and they want, they want to impact the, the wider culture. Jesus did said that we would be light, we would be salt, that we would be like lights that pop out in the midst of a crooked generation, that we would be an alternate way of being human and that we would put on the display of his design. And I think that's the main way that we impact the wider culture is that we allow Jesus to live in and through us and that we put his beauty and glory on display in our marriages um, uh, as singles, uh, the people of God in, in, in all thoughts of life that we put on an alternate way. And Jesus says that in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord and be prepared to give a, a a defense for the reason, for the hope that you have in you, but do so with gentleness mm. and respect. And so I believe that that means that we're gonna have opportunities to express the hope that we have. And I think that's the main way in through our spheres of influence. Now we may have opportunities as Christians in domains of society, whether that's through the jobs that we have, or maybe we get elected on a school board or in politics, by all means use that influence mm to bring about, um, you know, to bring maybe God's heart on the issue, God's perspective on the issue. I think that's fine and good. I just think we have to do, we have to maybe do it differently than maybe, you know, we've done things in the past. And uh, there, again, we're always gonna have, we're always gonna have trouble. And I think as, but Jesus promised that, that if we, if we, if we remain faithful to him and we allow his life to live in and through us, people are gonna ask questions, man, you do it differently. And if they're not asking questions, um, you know, uh, maybe we're doing something wrong. We're not being friendly. We're not mm. being engaging. We're not being loving. We just want our agenda to be put on them. Uh, but that's not why Jesus came. Jesus came actually, he did come to bring life and truth, but he came uh, not as a conquering king, but a suffering servant. And so entering into relationships so that way is really important. Our posture that we take is really important. Mm. I, I love what you said, Brian, that Jesus listened to love. And I think that's something we all can grow in doing. So thank you again for taking mm. this time, for yeah. answering these questions and encouraging us to continue this conversation mm. and mm. making sure that we are led to both the love of Jesus, the hope of Jesus, um, is very thought-provoking and helpful. Mm. So mm. thank you so much. I hope it was helpful for you as well. And in wrapping up our time here, I do just want to reference the books and podcasts that Brian mentioned in, our, in his sermon Sunday. Um, the first one is Embodied by Preston Sprinkle. And then the next one is Understanding Sexual Identity by Mark Yardhouse. And lastly, Irreversible Damage by Abigail Schreier. Just if you have still have questions and things you're wrestling with, I would encourage you to check those resources out. Thanks for joining us. And thanks again, Brian. Thank you.